I'm Eric. And I'm Briley, and you're listening to Financing Ambition, a Laurel Road podcast. In this month's episode, we're very fortunate to be speaking with the nurse Julia, a healthcare provider, fitness expert, entrepreneur, nursing mentor, and social media influencer. Nurse Julia describes herself as a student of life on a path to purpose. And we're thrilled to sit down with Julia today to hear about her background and the impact COVID has had on her personally and professionally. And we'll shed some light on the very real issues the country is facing when it comes to diversity in the U.S. healthcare system. Can you please start by providing a bit on your background and what led you to decide on pursuing a career in nursing? My name is Julia Eze. Um, I'm an Atlanta-based family nurse practitioner, um, and I'm extremely passionate about health promotion and disease prevention. Believe it or not, I come from a big family. I have seven siblings, and I'm fourth of eight. Wow. Uh, so I'm right in the middle. Wow. And uh, I was constantly caring for a younger sibling in some capacity. But around the time of uh, 16 years old, my mom uh, started, you know, helping out people in our church. And, and it's so funny because I went on to write a paper in college about how my mom's uh, mission became, you know, my profession. But long story short, um, there was this uh, quadriplegic lady that I had seen around town. And she came to our church one Sunday and sure enough, my mom's like, okay, we're going to be helping her out. And, you know, we're like, oh gosh, here we go again. Like, is this ever going to end? But can you guys believe I was being the best friends with this lady? Turns out she had been hit by an 18-wheeler when she was just 19 years old. <gasps> and um, at the time, she was early 60s and had been confined to a bed that entire time. And I just remember thinking, wow, this time I'm 17, I would be so pissed. You know, like, I just, <laughs> that happening to me and what that would look like to be in her position. But when I tell you guys, she was so resilient. This lady would sing and, you know, we dance and listen to music. And she was uh, a great comedian. You know, we just wow. had a great time. We we formed a, a friendship. And, um, you know, one day it just dawned on me that, hey, what she wouldn't give to be able to do the things that I, you know, came in here cringing initially to do, what she wouldn't give to mm -hmm. be able to do those simple things that we all take for granted. So. I thought to myself, you know what? That really made me feel fulfilled. That allowed me to give in a way that I hadn't given before, but it also allowed me to operate in a space mm. of gratitude. Uh, and so I knew at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm a nurse and um, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a, that's a really awesome story. Yeah. Not the journey you guys are probably expecting, but I got there nonetheless. <laughs> But that's great. That's great. So, Julia, being a nurse um, now, a nurse who calls both Atlanta and New York City home, um, you know, two cities that have been particularly hard hit by COVID-19, um, but also happen to be two of the biggest hubs for social and racial activism and the conversation happening today. Um, you know, I can imagine it's it's probably challenging dealing with the work that you're doing as a nurse, you know, in conjunction with everything else going on in the world. So we're wondering, you know, how are you doing with that balancing act? Well, for starters, I'm doing okay. That wasn't always the case. Um, I think one beautiful thing that has come out of this scenario in the field of nursing and healthcare in general is uh, our own fragility. 
you know, we're perceived to be caregivers and, you know, we hear these mm-hmm. um, very well uh, understood and recognized terms such as nurse burnout and burnout in the healthcare industry. And they're real. But I think um, COVID-19 has really uh, shown a light on the need for um, for coping mechanisms, for uh, resources, for healthcare workers and their own um, mental health and, and awareness. And so um, at the height of me being in New York, I had been there maybe about 60 days. And I think the first 30 days I was running off of adrenaline, to be honest. Uh-huh. Uh, we were working a pretty hectic schedule, seven days a week, 12 hour shifts. And I'm someone in the way that I practice, I really like to connect with patients. I really like to hear their story. I want to you know, check on their mental wellness and ask them how they're doing. And things were so fast paced that there was just not enough time to do that at all. It was a numbers game, truly. Um, And because of that, I didn't feel like I was operating in my full capacity. And so, uh, like I said, about two months into it, um, that's, you know, around the time when all of the social and racial unrest began. And I remember getting off of the bus uh, coming in from the hospital one evening and we were told that, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to leave the hotel. Watching the news and seeing that there, my mind really began to run away from me a bit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking everything, you know, even if I wanted to get out of here, there's not even, you know, normal flight schedules going on, you know. Mm. Right. So right. I I was in a uh, definitely a, a fight or flight uh, space. I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and protesters were outside of our hotel um, windows. You know, I'm just seeing the police. And, you know, when we really talk about that um, uncertainty and not really knowing what to expect, you know, I think we've taken uh, our normalcy for granted. And so much like everyone yeah. else, I was just, you know, oftentimes at a loss for words. Um, I found myself being down at times and just really scared of what the future holds or held, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think all of us can feel that pretty deeply these days. Um, So a whole lot to unpack there, really, Julia, right? I mean, there's just a whole lot going on. And so I think, though, it's a good segue into the meat of the discussion that we want to have today, right? Which is about diversity in healthcare. So as I see it, there's really, there's no secret that the field of medicine in this country has historically been a homogeneous field um, that serves an incredibly diverse population, meaning, you know, medical um, positions were mostly male white dominated, just to be frank. Um, And even when you know, white females or eventually individuals of color were gradually allowed to um, enter that field in, in prominent positions, it feels like the core of the industry is still very much white male dominated. Um, and so we wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, where you might have seen fragments of of those origins lingering still in, in today's healthcare industry. Well, to be quite honest, I, I think that uh, we're still in that space. <laughs> you know, I know you said the word fragment, mm-hmm. but you know, hashtags like representation matters exist for a reason because uh, we are very much still in the thick of of that phenomenon. 
And, um, you know, even when you think about the field of nursing, minority nurses only represent about 12% of the nursing population. And when you really put that in perspective and think about the fact that nursing is the largest sector of the healthcare field, so there are more nurses than anything. Mm -hmm. And even in that majority, uh, minority nurses are still just a small percentage. So there is more work to do in that regard. Mm. Yeah. And so it seems like the field is still far from a true reflection of what you're actually seeing with your patient populations as well. So one of, if not the most important reasons for increasing diversity in healthcare is cultural competence, which is a fancy term for having a wide range of knowledge about the attitudes and behaviors of different people. So Julia, how important do you think it is um, to have a culturally competent workforce in providing the best possible care to all patients? I think it's extremely important. You know, even when I think about my nursing education, lots of, sure, we all have heard the word uh, culturally uh, competent, but that was, you know, what we learned in school was so surface. You know, you learned about the Jehovah's Witness patient maybe refusing blood um, or, you know, some other scenario that you may be faced with and have to be sensitive to. But the, the true um, meat and potatoes of the actual issue, I don't think is uh, in textbooks enough. This should be a huge part of, uh, of the training. You know, because lots of times when you walk into a patient's room, you knowing your stuff is only half of the battle. I think uh, patients, especially in minority fields, there is a huge lack of trust when you think about, um, you know, historical incidents such as the Tuskegee trials that left many, you know, African-American patients, especially our older generation patients, really in question and fear of actually going to, to the doctor. Oh, yeah. uh, and then you don't see anyone who looks like you. Are you going to be inclined to take that medicine? Are you going to be inclined to believe that, you know, what you're being told isn't for um, for monetary gain or it's not, you know, to boost mm-hmm. pharma's back pocket? You know, so w- when you think about some of the the deep seated um, issues behind some of this and these are concerns that are then passed on. Let's talk about all the people who can't go to the doctor because of lack of resources and lack of health care and access to a healthy diet that then in turn make them more susceptible to something such as COVID. You know, so there's so many factors at at hand. Yeah, you know, and I think it happens on on the flip side, too. Right. I think when you don't have a diverse uh, population of providers, then they're not really equipped to care for. A diverse population either. So it reminds me of a story I saw about um, a med student who was unable to find guidelines for how certain symptoms appeared on dark skin. And right. so he, he had to go out and create one himself, um, which just blew my mind. I mean, it's really unfortunate that something like this would have just been created. But I think to your point, we're still very much not there, right? Yeah, I definitely uh, saw the article. I even saw some um, some exposure floating around on social media surrounding the story, which I thought was phenomenal. Yet at the same time, to your point, very mind blowing that something like this uh, doesn't exist at this time. But, you know, really, I think that just really goes to show um, how much work there is that needs to be done and that can be done. 
Absolutely. But also think that having um, more diverse representation in healthcare is also really important uh, to provide wider access uh, to healthcare services. So, Julia, in your opinion, how does a diverse workforce help to provide underserved populations with improved access to high quality uh, healthcare? It can go either way, whether you're someone who's on the receiving end of care. And, um, you know, you have someone who uh, looks like you so they can recognize the symptoms, uh, whether it be, you know, because of your skin tone or it could be the opposite end in that someone who uh, comes from a diverse background may be more understanding of your cultural preferences. And so they may know that, you know, you want to pray at a certain time of the day and uh, you praying actually is mm-hmm. going to be that peace of mind for your healing. Uh, so, you know, it's so many different uh, ways that, that it could work, but um, diversity definitely matters. Representation matters. I think people's willingness to oftentimes, like I said before, come in and actually be seen. Uh, and not only that, but then for them to come in and be seen and listen. You know, there's uh, so many times where patients, they go in a room and when they're in there, something goes in one ear and out the other. And there's even the phenomenon of white coat syndrome where people come to the doctor and because they're at the doctor now, their pressure skyrocketed. But if you're there and you feel more comfortable, you're more trusting of what you're being told because maybe uh, you see the diversity there. You see uh, people that look like you. Maybe you're more receptive of the environment. So feeling received in that space really matters. Mm. Even my dad had an experience where he was already hospitalized and his legs started going numb and he wasn't indeed having a mini stroke. But he told the nurse and she came to the room and said, oh, I'll come back. And he said he overheard her laughing in the hallway. And um, Mm. he continued to have those symptoms, but he didn't call her back anymore because he didn't feel that he had been hurt. Uh, So I think for a more well-rounded healthcare system, a more welcoming healthcare system and a more productive healthcare system, we really have to get this cultural diversity piece under our belt. We have to get, uh, we have to diversify the field. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense that, that people want to see themselves reflected in their, in their medical providers and that being able to see that instills trust. Um, and I think as a result increases access yeah quality and trustworthy medical care which mm-hmm. is obviously everyone's right so julia do you see any particular medical sectors where you really think um we need particularly stronger work to uh, to build more access for bipocs I, honestly i think all areas all areas could stand to improve mm-hmm. just you know. across the board right just across the board, I can't really think of one area where I could say, you know what, over in Durham, you know what, they're diversified, they're good, you know, <laughs> they could stand to, you know, uh, sit out on this round of <laughs> cultural competency and representation, <laughs> but, you know, in cardiology, no, I think across the board, really, um, no area really comes to mind. And even like I said, me speaking on behalf of nursing, um, you know, there's there's just a lot of work to do. Mm. And that's what I really, you know, appreciate and value about 
uh, having the opportunity to have a platform on social media because it's such a huge way to impact others and encourage them to uh, further their education, to uh, give uh, motivation that they too can do it. You know, that's why I actually started my the nursling page because mm-hmm. so many students and fellow nurses reached out and said, oh, wow, like your goals or how did you do this? You know, or how'd you, you know, I struggled with this course. How'd you overcome it? And at the, at that time, you know, I, I felt that, wow, you know, my story is, is, you know, maybe beneficial to someone, but everyone has a story and everyone can encourage someone, you know, how cool would it be to have a organization of nurses that served the up and coming and, you know, uh, served as mentors, served as, you know, someone just to bounce ideas off of, or someone just to give an encouraging word to someone on that same journey, uh, because you've been there and done that. So. Yeah, I think that's an excellent example of taking action, Julia. It really is a a really impressive example of that. And, you know, I think what we're agreeing on here is that diversifying healthcare is a long overdue problem. And the solution seems clear. Diversifying is a requirement if for nothing else, the sake of, of patient wellness. And, um, you know, I, I was reading another article about Maryland um, hospital system and, and where they've developed a five-step plan mm-hmm. to address diversity. Um, and their first step is mandatory unconscious bias training for their, for their entire staff. Right. So do you think, do you think that's a good example of like the most important action item? Or if you don't, you know, what would you think maybe should be the first line of attack apart from obviously the work that you've already kicked off? So for me, the mandatory uh, unconscious bias training, while it's important, um, necessary, to me, that seems like something that should have obviously been done during uh, your hiring process. You know, people are going to maybe sit through it and do it maybe because they have to. So I think a more hands-on approach or a more uh, team building based approach would be uh, better to address that. However, I think in light of uh, COVID, the timing, um, you know, because obviously COVID has, you know, shed a huge light on uh, these uh, health disparities and uh, some of the ways that certain populations are really suffering from this. So I thought that uh, step number two, actually, to identify care disparities um, would be more important to actually improving those outcomes. Yeah. And I also love the uh, one about the report, race and ethnicity breakdown of the community, because um, knowing who's in your immediate community would be a very effective way to say that, uh, you know, within a hundred or 200 mile radius of this hospital or these healthcare systems, we have uh, X amount of minorities or X amount of this population of people the chances of them coming in and they have these comorbidities, whether it be high blood pressure, you know, like encouraging uh, medication adherence, encouraging, Mm -hmm. um, you know, diet and lifestyle in in the communities while this is going on to help keep some of those people who may be more at risk out of coming into the hospital and doing some focused training to try and prevent that escalation, um, I think would be, you know, more practical. Um, and not that this is something that needs to be done just, uh, due to the, to the pandemic, but because the pandemic actually uncovered, you know, some of these greater underlying issues. No, that makes sense. And I feel like part of that is, is then doing the work of, uh, matching up the healthcare provider population in that area. 
to right. the to the findings of of the sort of local community audit that you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's it is interesting. One of I guess the more positive outcomes of 2020 um, with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter uh, movement is that they are a huge catalyst for this type of change, but we're just not as far through as we should be. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. Honestly, I feel like there's so much we could talk about with you. I, I really am interested in everything you're doing right now. I honestly don't know how you have the time, especially in the midst of the pandemic. You have a really successful Instagram page. You have your blog. uh, You have NurseLink that you're also running. Can you share a bit more about how you're using your platforms to um, maybe talk about everything that we've been discussing today, including representation in healthcare and the racial justice movement? First off, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, let me just tell you, it's not as it's not running as fast as I did maybe years, <laughs> but I definitely appreciate it. Uh, it. It can be challenging trying to juggle so many hats. Um, but yeah, when I was in New York, I definitely felt that it was uh, necessary to kind of share some of the things that I was noticing. Uh, you know, we all have platforms, and I think using them. Um, to provide awareness and to uh, be catalysts of change and get information out is extremely important. So, um, you know, like I thought, hey, let's, you know, get together, me and some of my um, Instagram buddies. And I thought it would be really cool to have a segment there talking about the importance of um, cultural diversity in the nursing field. And it just seemed ideal that in our field, we'd address some of the things that that we've seen. So we did host a mm-hmm. very successful um, Black nurse experience on the NurseLink IG Live, which uh, we had a huge attendance uh, and we got tremendous feedback. So many people were in support of it. So many people tuned in from so many different channels uh, to listen and to learn and really just to engage and be supportive. So I'm so grateful. Um, that everyone came on board and really rallied around it. I think it was very insightful and impactful. That's awesome. Um, Julia, I imagine you probably, like you know, like most of us, have some source of inspiration on social media. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know what's been like the most impactful way that you've seen uh, any individual on social join the the fight, right, and 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 use their social platform for good. Um, you know, it, really, in other words, I'm just trying to give our listeners an idea of who else they might be able to take some notes from. So one thing that I saw that was, that happened on social that was really cool is that there was this share the mic day where mm. certain like celebrities uh, swapped their pages with other influencers of color. And um, Danielle uh, Lombardo, who's a cardiologist, and I'm a huge uh, fan of hers, uh, her in particular, she's been really amazing. They did a medical one where um, doctors of color took over other doctors' pages and engaged with their audience just to maybe see a day in the life, answer questions and address some of the different um, disparities and healthcare issues uh, regarding race. So I thought that that was such a huge and creative and impactful way to really use 
their platforms to reach other people, to provide understanding and really give an inside look at, uh, at those experiences. Long story short, there's lots of uh, really cool people on Instagram. I love Dr. Mike's page. He's been you know, doing a lot to actually uh, inform, uh, you know, the masses about misinformation surrounding uh, COVID. Lots of people in the healthcare field, uh, like novices, the new nurse, and Ashley Thomas, MP, Aisha, CRNA. You know, they're they're sharing on their platforms their experiences, mm-hmm. and they're really uh, being transparent around what it means and feels like to. Uh, to be in the healthcare profession and to be a minority in some of the uh, experiences that they've gone through. So I definitely salute their transparency and their willingness to um, to really put themselves out there that way. Uh, also, uh, Dr. Lombardo, she, she, she shared on her page, she created like, I think maybe over 200 Black doctors and nurses that you should follow. I mean, she's just done a huge amount. She really comes to the top of my mind because she, um, she's definitely been an advocate for, for change. But kudos to them all for sure. And so are there any kind of final messages or anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Um, I would just like to say uh, self-care is the best care. You know, I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves making time to really just sit with yourselves and be. I'm just sending lots of love and light and gratitude and hoping that everyone is just really taking care of themselves and staying in a good mental state. Thank you so much, Julia. We really appreciate you joining us on our podcast today. Uh, I know you mentioned some of you know your influences and inspiration, uh, but I know that a lot of our listeners are looking at you as a role model uh, and as inspiration and um, have learned quite a lot from your insights today. So before we let you go, why don't you let us know where we can keep up with you on social? I can be found on social media on IG at The Nurse Julia um, or at The Nurse Link or www.thenursejulia.com or thenurselink.com. Excellent. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. This was awesome. Any opinions, findings, and conclusions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of KeyBank. In providing this information, KeyBank is not acting as your agent or is not offering any financial, tax, accounting, or legal advice. Our guest, Nurse Julia Eze, has promoted Laurel Road and received compensation in the past. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank NA, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. NMLS number 399797.